Good day, everyone. I'm Ron Insana, and welcome to the U.S. Lens. If you haven't noticed lately, there are a variety of cross currents in the economy when it comes to growth, uh, inflation, recession fears, what the Fed will do next, what numbers will drive policy going forward, and what that means for fixed income investments. Joining me now to talk about those very subjects is Lisa Hornby. She is head of U.S. multi-sector fixed income at Schroeder's. Lisa, it's good to have you with us again. And this the last week has been kind of crazy. We get stronger than expected job numbers. We get inflation that appears to be, at least on a one-month basis, plateauing. The bond market has been actually fairly stable in certain sectors, a little a little bit more volatile at the short end of the curve. And the Fed's been making hawkish statements even since the relatively benign inflation that we got not too long ago. Where where do you put everything right now? Uh, well, good morning, Ron. Thanks for having me. It certainly has been uh, tumultuous. And I think your question, which is, why have risk assets responded so positively to almost everything over the last several weeks, um, probably speaks to how poorly sentiment had gotten, um, particularly through the middle of June and early July. Um, we look at various positioning surveys, credit surveys, um, equity surveys, and people just didn't want to own any risk. And I think, you know, some of some of Powell's comments perhaps could be interpreted as they they are eager to stop being as aggressively hawkish as they are. Um, and that may have provided some of the catalyst for people to say, okay, maybe the Fed is, we're getting towards peak hawkishness out of the Fed uh, and our risk appetite should be a little bit higher than the, the very, very negative levels that it was sitting at. So I think people are still working through that. Um, you know, for us, we still think we're in the we're sort of in the midst of it. And the inflation problem is still not solved. Um, certainly, seeing maybe perhaps the peak yesterday is welcome. Um, but you know, our view is that inflation still will remain sticky, and this will keep the Fed engaged, perhaps um, a little bit more than the market's currently discounting. We think discounting some some rate cuts early next year is probably a bit premature at this stage, but. Um, we do think that this will be kind of a constant tug of war over the next couple of months as the inflation data you know, softens a little bit, but is still high, meaning the Fed still has to be uh, aggressively tightening financial conditions. Uh, growth is sort of on the cusp. It's slowing clearly, but how much is it slowing? I think that the market's going to have to work through these issues over the next few few months. And as we do, um, you know, I think there'll be some continued volatility. Yeah, let me let me ask you a little bit more uh, about inflation because, as, as you mentioned, so the, the consumer price report it came out effectively flat um, on a month to month basis. It was zero, which was again lighter than expectations. Wholesale prices just out actually declined a half percent compared to the two tenths of a percent gain that was expected uh, for the month of July. That hasn't happened since the pandemic started. So um, once you start to see these inflation numbers roll over. Commodity prices are down about 20 to 30 percent on average. We're seeing the inventory of uh, homes for sale going up and some price flexibility there. I actually talked to a, a businessman yesterday, uh, earlier this week, I should say, who suggested he's seeing some flexibility among his suppliers to negotiate prices. And he's actually now getting parts for a, a high-end RV business that he has. Is it possible that not only have we seen peak inflation, but inflation can call, fall faster than some, particularly at the Fed, might believe is possible? I, I think 
I think it's possible. Um, I don't know that it's extremely likely. Um, and the reason for that, certainly we're seeing softness on the good side. That's been our expectation for quite some time. Um, you know, the inventory restocking challenge was starting to be abated with with the COVID kind of reopenings that have happened and, and, and things good starting to move um, throughout the world. So our view has been long been that the good side of the equation, which was running north of 10% in inflationary terms, would come down fairly aggressively. And certainly the Fed's tightening, as you have suggested, has had a significant impact, not just on the, uh, the manufacturing side, but on the housing side as well. Anything interest rate sensitive is certainly slowing fairly materially. Um, we think that that's, that's important. The thing that we're a bit more concerned about is that the service side of the economy is still running at a 6% CPI um, print handle. And that's the, you know, that's actually the, that's the bigger component of the CPI basket. It's probably closer to 65, 70%. Um, so to us, that's, 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 fairly, uh, that's fairly elevated. And when you look at things that are indirect feed-throughs into CPI, like wages, those don't seem to be falling and they tend to be a bit more sticky. So yes, we absolutely think inflation is falling and is probably we probably have seen the peak, but it's hard for us to see how we get, let's say, below 5% in the, in the near term. Um, and I think that's where the Fed's going to have a challenge. You know, if inflation, if headline inflation's running, um, or core inflation even, is running 4, 4.5%, can they really change their posture? And I, I don't know the answer to that, but historically, <laughs> um, it's taken them a, a series. A, it's taken them better, the better part of a year to actually change from a hiking posture to a an easing posture. And I think right now the market is is discounting a very quick change that they basically go from hiking in February or March early the first you know, the first quarter of next year to easing immediately after that. And I just don't, historically, that's pretty unlikely. It's pretty unusual to, to see that. Um, and so no one's giving us that indication. I mean, Neil Kashkari uh, at the Minnesota Fed, Minneapolis Fed, used to be among the most dovish members of the Federal Reserve. He's now among the most hawkish and said recently that they're going to be raising rates well into 2023. Charlie Evans in Chicago says they're going to raise rates until inflation's back to 2%. Um, and then over the weekend, we heard from several other uh, Fed officials who suggested a three-quarter point hike in September is still on the table, irrespective of how people felt about the inflation data. You think the Fed's going to run the risk of overdoing it because things are starting to go their way? And are they really intent on, rather than a soft landing, bringing inflation out of the system so dramatically that we end up with a recession at some point next year? I mean, I think they've they've basically guided towards that, that they're willing to sacrifice growth and potentially even a mild recession so they can get these inflation numbers under control. I mean, when you think about it from their mandate perspective, um, the unemployment rate increasing a couple of percentage points in an economic downturn affects a few million people. Inflation at 9% affects nearly all of the population. So you know, when you think about it from risk reward, what are they trying to solve? They have to get this inflation problem under control. And that mean, even, even if that means slowing growth, and I suppose the other part of this is that they are notoriously behind 
where they're supposed to be responding to sort of last year's problem, right? If they weren't, then in March of this year, they would have been selling bonds instead of still adding bonds to their balance sheet. Um, but they're, you know, they're kind of late. They're they're constantly trying to catch up to where the market is. And so that means they're going to be responding to inflation data today at 9% when the trajectory is probably less than that. And when inflation gets down to 4%, they'll be responding to 4 even though the trajectory is probably less than that. So I don't know if that answers your question directly, but, <laughs> but it sounds they're like late. You're saying that recession may well be a feature rather than a bug of policy. Exactly. I think that's I think that's exactly it. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, you're listening to the Investor Download. All right. So now when it comes to fixed income and fixed income, pardon me, investing. Um, I know everybody in, in, in your world has has gone to short duration instruments in order to uh, avoid the volatility that we've seen at the long end. But the long end has has done actually remarkably well in the last month or so, month and a half. We've gone from nearly a three and a half percent handle on the 10 year all the way down to 275. At one point we were flirting with 250. Um, how hard is it to navigate where you should be on the curve or what area of fixed income one should be looking at for opportunity sets? Yeah, I mean, I think the front end has made a lot of sense, especially when you think about you add on the corporate um, spread that you can you can obtain in the front end of the curve, 100, 110 basis points over treasuries means that you're, you know, looking at a four to four and a half percent yield for a two or three year investment grade corporate bond. That's really attractive to us uh, still. Um, that being said, you know, when we think about where the tenure belongs, the tenure typically trades close to the Fed's terminal rate. And so right now we think, you know, sub 3%, probably the tenure has a the tenure yield has a little bit of upward pressure. Um, we probably think we can see tens retesting um, some of the, the higher yields we saw earlier this year, maybe not quite as high as 350. We think that we believe in kind of the inverted curve phenomenon, but um, we do think that there's probably a little bit of upward pressure on tens. That being said, I think the real positive for markets is that the range is probably more defined now. I don't know that we'll retest the 350 that we saw on 10-year yields. That may well have been the peak. And if that is the case, then I think markets can be a bit more comfortable with less interest rate volatility. I think that was one of the really big challenges for risk assets earlier this year is how could you possibly price um, any type of risk asset if you don't know where the risk-free rate belongs? And there were questions as to, you know, would the Fed be hiking to three, four, five, six percent? You know, I heard credible people saying that the ten-year belongs at a five percent handle. If that was the case, then, you know, risk certainly needed to sell off a lot more. I think there's some confidence now that the Fed we're in the right zone. Um, so, you know, yes, maybe the Fed has to get to four percent, but probably not much more than that to control the inflationary phenomenon. And I think that is a very positive thing for risk. Well, let me ask you about that. Though. So if, and I can, I can understand why you say that, because if, if the Fed were to drive its target rate on Fed funds to 4%, there's no doubt that the yield on the 10-year note would go down rather substantially, anticipating uh, maybe a more serious downturn in growth. And you get a fully inverted yield curve, a recession signal, which would then imply that the Fed does have to pivot at some point in the future, which is why you would buy by risk. So are you making that case then as that the closer we get to the Fed overdoing it, 
the better the profile is for risk assets? I think it, there's a sequence element to it here, but essentially that is, that's almost the playbook that we, we've seen over the last month, right? The 3.5% 10 years, I don't want to say broke the economy, but significantly slowed economic momentum, so much so that the Fed was commenting on it. And the market interpreted it as the Fed pivot. I don't know that we're quite at the pivot yet, but I think we're going to continue to have these almost um, co competing gyrations, right? Where the Fed is fighting inflation, but they fight it so hard that that growth slows down, which means that they have to back off a little bit. And we're probably in a more defined range now in 10-year yields because we know where that upper bound is. We know that 3.5% tens causes significant indigestion in risk assets. Does that mean we can't see 375? No, it probably doesn't. But I think the fear of 5% tens is, is, is mitigated now. And that gives, I think that can give people all else equal a bit more confidence in taking some risk into their portfolios. Uh, what is it that you see that is, as you mentioned, you know, short duration corporates uh, are, are interesting because you pick up additional yield. We've also seen uh, credit spreads even in high yield narrow rather significantly since we saw that peak in the tenure at three and a half. Have some of those gains already been wrung out of the market or are there still selective opportunities to be found? I think the front end still offers opportunity. Um, high yield, we're, we're much more cautious on because if we are having an economic downturn, especially given the rally we've seen over the last month, um, high yield's not, in our view, discounting a whole lot. So we're a bit more cautious in taking risk there. Uh, you know, one area of the market that we like quite a bit is is actually municipal bonds, uh, particularly tax exempt municipal bonds. Um, it's not a particularly exotic uh, asset class to talk about. It's very high quality, but you know, we talk about things lagging, and munis, from a fundamental perspective, really lag the broader economic uh, backdrop. So as we see, you know, as we see the economic momentum um, in the economy slow down a bit, munis are not going to see that for another year two years. They're still benefiting from higher home prices, higher tax, property tax receipts. Um, and so, in fact, we're actually seeing the fundamentals in that market improve. Meanwhile, um, it's a very retail-oriented market. It's very sensitive to the level of rates in the economy. And so we have seen significant outflows on a year-to-day -day basis, um, which means that actually municipal bonds from a fundamental credit perspective look good from a valuation perspective look much more compelling. And there's some other tailwinds there. I mean, there's still the infrastructure spend that hasn't been doled out. There's I, maybe from the and the poorly named Inflation Reduction Act, uh, there, there might be some help uh, for municipalities as tax credits get doled out and, and we start installing electronic uh, or electric vehicle charging stations and things like that. Is there a, a bit of a fiscal tailwind from the federal government that might help out states? as they move to upgrade their infrastructure? There's that. And there's also the fact that many of these municipalities haven't even spent the full yeah. um, receipt that they got out of the $1.9 tax package last February. Um, they're actually still sitting on a significant amount of that cash waiting to deploy it. So when we, you know, when we think about it from a balance sheet perspective, these municipalities are in, in very, very good shape. And you know, if we are headed to a much more pronounced slowdown, Eventually, that will certainly affect munis, um, but they'll be much more resilient in our view than lower rated corporate credit. You know, they have taxing authority. They, they, it's a little bit of a different, uh, a different animal. And so we, we prefer the higher quality, sort of slightly less cyclical nature of that market headed into a, a particularly um, poor economic growth period.
Final question. I'm just going to go back to Fed for the minute. Because my final question. I'm just going to go back to the Fed for a moment. With respect to all the talk that we're hearing from Federal Reserve officials who remain quite hawkish and see, who seem to be implying that short rate that they control is going to get to three and a half or four percent, could they be surprised by a downturn? As you say, the interest-sensitive sector like housing has, has fallen rather sharply. Uh, we're seeing, again, commodity prices come down. We're seeing gasoline down for nearly 60 days in a row, uh, down over a dollar a gallon at this point. Might Might they get to a point where they have to admit that a pivot is possible, even though it may not be probable in the near term. Uh, absolutely. And I think that's what makes this market environment so challenging is that things can overshoot. I mean, a lot of this was supply induced, stimulus induced. These were sort of one time shocks to the system that are unwinding. And so can they unwind faster than people expect? Yes, absolutely they can. I think that you have to assign a, an actual reasonable probability to that. So yes, the Fed, the Fed pivot is real. Um, I just don't think it's a one-way street to get there. All right. On that note, we'll leave it. Lisa, always a pleasure to have you. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Ron. Lisa Hornby is head of U.S. multi-sector fixed income at Schroeder's, joining us for today's U.S. Lens. Thanks for being with us today, and we will talk to you again very soon. Well, that was the show. We very much hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more, check out our website, schroders.com forward slash the investor download. You can also get in contact with us about anything in the show or ideas for future shows at Schroders Podcasts at schroders.com. Please remember to subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We're now doing one show a week, which will be available every Thursday from 5pm UK time. Thanks very much for listening, but above all, keep safe and go well. Cheers. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation of any funds, services or products, or to adopt any investment strategy.